Okay, Shalom Abracha. Uh, my name is Meryl Kabas. I'm from Yerushalayim. And uh, I invested, I guess you can say, 20, uh, 28 years in Rabbi Nachman's teachings. And we've developed an approach to show the world that there's something here for everybody. And uh, he has what to offer. Baruch Hashem. We have something called breast of therapy, believe it or not. Showing how his teachings can help a person for self-help through the traditional etzot of Torah study and davening. How a person can really advance and solve a lot of life's challenges. So based on that, we're going to introduce the topic. It's a very interesting topic, lost items. What lost items? <laughs> what did we lose? Some, I heard one lady who asked the question, what lost items did we lose? Visit Hashem. This requires uh, just a basic uh, presentation of the Torah's perspective of what we are doing in this world. For this, we need a bit of the introductory teachings of the Arizal, the Kabbalah. He says like this, that the, the whole goal of us being here is to recollect what's called in Hebrew nitzotzot, holy sparks, which means that throughout this world, the world is called in Hebrew olam. The word olam comes from the wording ha'alama, a concealment. That's why it's called olam. Hey, ayin, lamed, mem, hey. It's a concealment. Hiding something. What? There's holiness here. Holiness is trapped throughout the whole world. Hashem created this world for us to recollect these holy sparks, to bring them back to Hashem. The question is why? Why did Hashem do that? Hashem saw that for the maximum ability for His goodness to be revealed is Dafka, specifically, when a Jew is put in the challenge of this world, which on the revealed level, you don't see Hashem at all whatsoever. And yet, to connect to Hashem and to reveal it, this for Hashem is the biggest accomplishment. For example, the Gemara teaches that the only Chag that will exist after Mashiach comes is Purim. No more Pesach, no more Shavuot, no more Sukkot. Why? Because the miracle of Purim was within the nature. Mitzrayim, Yitzhak Mitzrayim, of course you're going to believe. Ten plagues, splitting of the Red Sea, that's big stuff. That, when you see that, for sure you believe. But by Hashem being revealed in the whole timing of Achashverosh and Haman and Esther, and the timing that we see in the story, and from that Hashem's guidance is revealed, for Hashem that's the biggest accomplishment. It's a greater accomplishment when people recognize Hashem from within the nature, than just doing a supernatural miracle. When there's miracles, for sure you're going to believe. The Chidush is when from the, 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 te, the Teva, from the nature, a person recognizes Hashem. This is what Hashem wants. He spread out holy sparks in this world, and He wants us, while in this physical, this physical uh, limitation, to recognize Hashem. How do we do that? Mitzvot. Mitzvah is Mem Tzadik Vav Hey. The Vav Hey of Mitzvah is from Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke. And the Mem Tzadik, what's Mem Tzadik? It's the hidden of Yudke Vavke. To explain, there's what's called a type of gematra called Atbash. Atbash is when we take the 22 Hebrew letters of the alphabet, there's 22 letters, and we fold them like this. So then, the Aleph is facing and corresponding to the Tav, the Bet is to the Shin, the Gimel is to the Resh. In that format, Mem corresponds to Yud, 
And tzaddik corresponds to vav. So you have in a mitzvah, yudke, vavke. What does that mean? That whenever a Jew does a mitzvah, any type of mitzvah, a bracha, even the Mishnah brings, for example, there's mitzvahs you can do by just thinking. When you think about Hashem and His achdut, you get a mitzvah. There's tons of mitzvot that we have. You're actually connecting to Hashem's energy. When you're doing a mitzvah, you're connecting to Hashem's energy, bringing the mitzvah back to Hashem. Question is, why Vavke is mentioned, mitzvah? Mem Tzadik is not. The Mem Tzadik is the hidden part of Hashem's existence that we have no access to whatsoever. The Vavke represents when we experience godliness in this world. For example, when a Jew feels the Simcha and the light of Shabbat, the Kiddush, or Yom Kippur, or Kol Nidre, the, the big times when it's, 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 express, it's, it's very expressive to feel the light of Hashem, and it's open, that applies to all the mitzvah, which is the certain ones that are meant for it on an open level. But every mitzvah, if a Jew is able to connect to, he can feel the godliness in it. That's why it's Vavke revealed in the mitzvah. But the Mem Tzadik is still connecting to the hidden part that we have no access to on a revealed level, but the mitzvah reconnects it. The thing is now, how to do this? You do a mitzvah, fine. But how do I know that the mitzvah will reconnect? For this, the Torah requires one more factor. The factor is doing the mitzvot with simcha, with joy. This is, as written in the Parsha Kitavo coming up, Parsha Kitavo, you have there 98 curses. All these curses, terrible things that Moshe Benu says, you can eat your children, <laughs> terrible things. Why all this is happening? Tachat asher lo avadatem et Hashem elokechem besimcha. The Pasuk says clearly, all this happens because you don't serve Hashem out of joy. So it's funny, the Torah is not saying all these punishments because you're not serving Hashem. It's saying all, it doesn't say that. It says because you're not serving Hashem besimcha. So the simcha is the key for helping a person lift up the mitzvah and to bring it upwards, okay? This is why we're here. This is the goal. In this sense, a Jew now has a mission. These sparks that we collect are really parts of us that are lost. When a person comes to this world, for example, he doesn't come complete. If you are in this world, it's because there's something to fix. Because if there's nothing to fix, you shouldn't be here. This world is only a tikkun. Rabbi Nachman says that every Jew walking on the face of earth today has already been in every single Jewish cemetery. You've been, you were already in Morocco, you're already in Iraq, you're already in Germany, in all the cemeteries that, are, that Jews are buried. We've been back so many times that we're still here is because we have what? To rectify. That's the concept of what's called the Gilgul, the reincarnation. We are all reincarnations. We're not new souls. We're souls that have been here so many times, but just in a different combination. We have, just to explain a little, we have a few levels of a neshama. It's what's called nefesh, ruach, neshama, higher levels called chaya, yechida, which are inaccessible. And every time we come back, it's like a different combination and a new mission. And it's a new person, yes, but it's really old. Our job is to find out who we really are. Now, this comes out in everything in life. This comes out, for example, when people have, if you want to say, emotional disorders, mental, this type of stuff that, they, they call, they, that society today is calling, it is basically something is missing in the makeup of the person. And in the creation itself are sparks of holiness that he needs to be complete. 
When you have, for example, someone who's born with this deficiency, an ADHD child, for example, what's needed, the, 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 the medical uh, profession will say, well, he needs or this type of medication or this type of therapy, right? They, they give us what's needed to deal with this. From the Torah's perspective, it's much deeper. It's that there's all these sparks that this person is missing to complete who he really is, and the deficiencies coming out, it's lacking here and there and there. His mission is to locate it. How? How? So Rabbi Nachman points out, he opens us out to the idea, that this idea of doing mitzvot v'simcha, and being v'simcha, what happens when a Jew is v'simcha, is that he creates openings that did not exist before. We'll give a story, it's a funny story, to illustrate this point, how what Simcha can do. There's a, a famous story of Rav Zusha Vanipoli and Rav Elimelech that they came to a village uh, and this village had a curfew. 9 p.m., no one was allowed on the streets as a precaution against robbers and murderers and everything. Anyone on the street after 9 p.m., they were arrested. Even though they were innocent, they were arrested. And it was a time when Rav Zusha and Rav Elimelech, they went undercover. They were just as simple people. No one knew who they were. So they came to the shtetl. No one knows who they are. Quarter to nine. They had no time to set up achsanya, where they're going to sleep, where they're going to eat and everything. Nine o'clock, they're on the streets. The police sees them. They arrest them. They put them in the jail cell. It's a big room with mattresses all around. And the washrooms and the bathrooms in the middle. Which means they can't dive in. They can't pray because there's the smell. And it's, it's forbidden. Every, the, the room was filled with Jews and goyim, innocent people, criminals, all types of, of a mix. And Rav Melech was sad. And Rav Zusha, the older brother, was always happy and the one who was always positive. He said to his brother, my brother Rav Melech, why, why are you so down? He says, look, I can't daven, I can't learn, it's worse than Gainam. What's left of me? There's nothing to do here. It's just, we're sitting here, we can't think what thoughts of Torah, we can't learn Torah because of the smell and because of the situation. What do you, what do you want me to do? So Rav Zusha said, Ajaba, you, my super-duper perfect brother Tzadik, Rav Elimelech, who's never missed a Marav in his life, never missed a Kriachma in his life, Hashem has given you the opportunity to do the mitzvah now like this, in this format. What format? The Allah says that when a person is in a situation like this, where there's like a bathroom and he can't dive in and can't pray, and he's going to miss Kriachma, he's going to miss Arvi, the Allah says, it's in the Shulchan Aruch, that the person has to say in his heart, I want to do your will. But the situation does not allow it. So Yeratzon, let it be considered as if, Ke'ilu, it's the famous Ke'ilu, I did it, and Halacha says, you are credited, Ke'ilu, you did it. So my super duper perfect brother, you Hashem has given you the opportunity for the first time in your life to do the mitzvah like this. You should be happy. What are you upside down? And they started dancing. He got him hyped up. They started dancing. And all the inmates are looking at them. You know, these two simple Jews, no one knows who they are, and they're dancing. So they saw that, they grabbed everybody, and they started dancing around the bathroom, around the toilet. And they started making noise. The warden, the warden of the jail came, he said, what's this noise? And they said, it's because of the toilet. He said, oh really? He opened the, the, the cell, he took out the toilet, the smell was gone, and Zusha told Rabbi Melech, now you can dive in. Okay? It's a funny, what's the point of the story? Is that if they wouldn't have been the Simcha, this would have never happened. Who in their, right mind would have thought that the warden would come and take out the bathroom from the room. How did this come about? Because they did the right thing, which was to be besimcha. And what came, what, 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 he, what was dofully, uh, what was rightfully due to Rabbi Demelech, which was to daven properly, 
came his way. How did he get to it? Because he was besimcha. Rabbi Nachman, he also gives another similar story, a, par- a parable, an analogy, of there was once a, uh, a man in Eastern Europe, and his job, he was a clay digger. He used to dig clay and sell it for nothing. It was like, a, what type of a job is that, to sell clay? For whatever they used back then, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, he used to use clay for whatever they had. So he dug clay and he sold it. And once while digging clay, he came across a giant chunk of a diamond. And he said, whoa, this is probably worth a lot of money. He went to the local jeweler. He said, can you give me an, ev- an assessment, evaluation, how much this costs? And the jeweler said, <laughs> I'm a little guy in Eastern Europe. You have to go to the main diamond, chain, uh, diamond exchange in London. They can give a value on a big diamond like this. So the Jew sold everything he had. He sold his house and everything to buy money for transportation to get to, to London. His money ran out at the edge of the European continent, at, at France. His money ran out and he needed to cross the English Channel, the, 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 the sea, to get to England. He saw a big ship there, a giant ship at the port. He went to the captain, he says, look, this is my money. He showed him the diamond. He said, I don't have any cash on me now to pay you. Let me on the ship. I promise you, I'll pay you whatever you want. Just let me get to, England, to London. The captain saw the diamond. He saw he was a sincere guy. He said, for sure, welcome, Bochaba. He led him onto the ship. He gave him the nice suite, the, the penthouse. He gave him the nice room, clean and everything. And he said, he said, where are you from? And this, and all these stories. And they're talking, and the Jew took out his little toast and his cucumbers that he had, little food. And he said they had the table set up, and he was eating, and he was exhausted, and he dozed off. And he put the, the diamond on the table while he dozed off, okay? The captain said, okay, I'll see him later. He's tired, he's too tired. The captain left. While he was sleeping, the steward came into the room to clean the table. And the steward didn't see the diamond on the tablecloth. So he just wrapped everything and the ship already set sail. And he dumped everything, including the diamond, into the, into the sea, into the ocean. So after like 10, 15 minutes, the Jew woke up and he sees the table clean. No cucumbers, no toast, no diamond. And he, and he started to panic. He said, He's gonna, the captain's going to kill me. I'm finished. I'm finished. He said, the captain, is, if he sees that, he's not going to get paid. He's, he's a ruthless guy and he's going to kill me. So he's trying to think, what can he do? What can he do to, in, in between him and death, what's another alternative? So he realized that if I pretend to be happy, that could possibly save me. Because if now I show the worry on my face, and then I even tell him, he'll kill me. The chance I have to survive is to be calm and happy, put on a fake smile. So he started practicing on fake smiles. And after like half an hour, the captain knocked on the door and he's, his heart is pounding. And he opens the door and he sees the captain with a serious face. And he's smiling, yes, how can I help you? He says, listen, I need, can I come in? I need to speak to you urgently. He said, yes, come in. The captain came into his room and he says, listen, I see you're an honest person and I can trust you. I need a big, big favor. You see this big ship? This big ship has a big stock I brought of wheat to be distributed, to be sold in England, for England, for the whole English country. Tons of wheat and the value is much more than your diamond. That's how big the ship was with all the consignment of wheat. But now the taxes, when I bring it in, because I'm a known client, a known supplier of wheat, he was the captain and also the supplier of the wheat, so the taxes in England are high because of me, because I'm a known merchant. But they have a rule that a new merchant who brings in wheat and brings in any product, there's like half the taxes or barely nothing. 
do me a favor, let's sign everything on your name, I can trust you, let's sign everything on your name, and then when we cross the border, you get back everything to me. The Jew said to himself, thank you Hashem, this is what's going to save me. This, about, this favor I'm doing from his public, what's going to save me? So they crossed into the border, they get into London, they get the taxi, you know, they came, they checked all the inventory, they said you have to pay just this much, you have this discount, it's on your name, we don't know you, etc. And they passed through the, the, the border patrol and the taxes and everything, and after they were clear, the captain had like a heart attack and he collapsed and he died. And all the wheat stayed on the name of this Jew. So Nachman, it's not a true story, it's just an idea. Nachman points out like this, he said, the diamond really did not belong to the Jew. Proof is, it was taken away from him. The wheat really did belong to him. Proof is, it came his way. And how did he get to what was really his by even faking the simcha, by even pretending it when he should really be really plotting, he should have been really worried, but he acted with self-control, and this is how he got what truly is his. This is connected to what we said in the beginning, that the holy sparks that are belonging to you in life, your nitzotzot, it's an aveda, okay? The way for you to get them to come your way is only if you do the right thing. What is the right thing to do? I can't just say it's just doing mitzvot, but it's my attitude that I take in my life of being positive and happy and working on it. Because happiness is not something which happens by itself. The Al-Sheikh HaKadosh on his Chumash, he says like this, Hashem created the human eye that the, where we see from the pupil is black, it's dark. Why is that? Because it's the nature, the nature of a human being to look at everything black, everything's Tisha B'Av. Right? Everything is bad, everything's negative, down. You have to work at being positive. It doesn't, you can't say all oh, those neighbors, they're always happy and everything, look at that family and everything. They work on it if they're happy. I don't know, sometimes you don't know if they're really happy, if it's just a, it's just a, they're just, it's a show and it's not real. But real simcha, you gotta work. No one is born. You can't say, oh, this family, the parents are always giving them love and everything, so they're, they're always, no wonder the kids always miss simcha. That's not true. You have to work at being simcha. If it's something which is, it's big time, big time. So Rabbi Nachman, he gives many advices on being happy. And yes, he says the big advice, believe it or not, is telling jokes, is acting happy. I see nobody here is smiling, so I have to tell a joke. <laughs> and I hope, I hope I get a smile out of you, okay? How does a Pollock scratch his back? And it's a stupid joke. You're gonna crack up because it's stupid. How does a Pollock scratch his, scratch his back? Did I get a smile? She's not smiling. That's not, not fair. <laughs> you didn't do the joke? Here, scratching the chair and putting the back on the chair. Okay, there we go. Okay? Even though it's stupid, it's silly, but the fact that it makes you smile, he says, Rabbi Nachman, it brings you to true simcha eventually. This is not the true simcha, but you need to do something to get in a happy mood. And this is the big Eitzah telling jokes, they have to make an app, Bezret Hashem, an app or whatever, a phone line for the from people, they have like a WhatsApp number, they can call 24-7 and there's like non-stop jokes to get people happy because that is what's needed more than anything today when people are just walking Tisha B'Av. For sure, people are not going to get anywhere in life. For sure. For sure. If now you have no Simcha and it's showing, how in the world do you expect to come to what's rightfully yours? These sparks, again, it's big time. They're called Avedot. There are Vedot. Rabbi Nachman teaches in another lesson that there are angels that go around with shofarot 
and they blow Tkia, Tua, and Tkia. And these angels are always looking for lost items. Okay? And when they find the lost item, there's tremendous joy. And it goes on to say that there are also tzaddikim who also look for lost items. They look for their lost items at tzaddikim. And in the journey of finding their lost items, which they succeed to do because they're tzaddikim, they find other people's lost items also. This is why it's a big thing to travel to a tzaddik. Why is it a big thing to have a tzaddik? Because these tzaddikim have your lost items also. But the tzaddikim, they don't just give so fast your lost item. They want to have a proof that you're sincere. And this is the big tests people face today of connecting to tzaddikim, going to them, because it's so, it's so determining on them getting what rightfully theirs, so they have obstacles in that. He says this idea of finding lost items in perspective of tzaddikim. But every Jew, even without that happening yet, you have the process of daily living, and everything that comes your way is like a hint to find your lost items. And the way to extract it is if you do the right thing, which is to be besimcha. In other words, when, a, for example, a person is faced with a major challenge, all of a sudden he gets a phone call from the school, you know, there's something wrong with your child, come right now, pick him up and everything, and the parent is like panicking and everything, and you can't, when you're panicking, for sure, 100%, you can't think clear. For sure, 100%, you're gonna make the wrong decisions. What's needed is for sure, a person has to calm down and to work on being positive, and the positivity opens up doors, like in the case of Rabbi Melech and Zusha. It brings an opportunity. This is something which people should realize, but this is the key. If I have a positive attitude, like a magnet, the solution will come my way. There was no solution before, and when a person is panicking, he won't get to it. But if a person just takes a second to calm down, breathing techniques, all these yoga things, I don't know what they have today, and the person uses it to have yeshivadat, so all of a sudden, comes his way, good things. A phone call, a solution. I didn't think about this, all of a sudden this and this and that. There's openings in life. It's a verse, by the way, it's a pasuk. Pasuk in Yeshayahu that says, Ki besimcha tetzeu. The pshat is like this. The pshat of the pasuk is that when Mashiach comes and everyone will leave Linden to go back to Israel, okay? You'll go with joy. Besimcha, you'll come with joy. Rabbi Natan, Rav Nossin, he's the disciple of Rabbi Nachman, he explains it like this. Ki besimcha means, not with joy, but through joy. Besimcha, through being positive and happy, tetzel, you get out. Get out of what? Get out of anything you're stuck in life. Anytime a person is faced with a challenge and they don't know what to do, they know who to speak to, they know what to turn to, who to turn to, who to speak, what to say, they don't know anything happening, what, to, where, 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 what direction to take. If a person works on simcha, then they get out. Now the question is, uh, when you're faced with a trauma, you can't think of being with simcha, your head is blank. Because of this, it's important that a person train themselves when things are normal, more or less, and work at being with simcha, so that when I'm faced with this challenge and this trauma and this incident, like an instinct, like a reflex, I know to go to bring me simcha because I'm working on it so much on a daily basis. I'm working on being happy and I invest in it. It's an investment. So when I'm faced with a challenge, automatically I remember, be simcha, you tell yourself, be happy, be calm, 
take it easy, this, you know, it's not going to solve the situation. You're going to turn to that more easier if now you're working on it constantly, working on it. We gave one advice. The main advice is to tell jokes, that's one. Another advice is to always give thanks to Hashem. Hoda'ah. When a person is filled with thanksgiving, that attitude also gives a person the ability to be positive. To, to, sorry, to be happy and to have openings in life. You see that when people are giving thanks to Hashem, Hashem sends them more. They have a saying like this. When a person complains, when a person, someone asks uh, Reuven asks Shimon, how's it going? He says, ah, terrible, and this, and I'm sick, and I lost out money on this, and I don't have Shalom Bayit, and this and that. So Hashem says, oh, it's bad, it's bad. I'll show you what really bad is. <laughs> You're complaining, I'll show you what's really bad. But when a person, like someone asks, Reuven asks Shimon, how's it going? And he's, he's really going through our time. But he says, Baruch Hashem, I believe everything is good, and it is good, really good. I just, I want to develop the attitude that it's good. So Hashem says, I know it's not good. I know you're suffering. I'm going to make it that it's really good now. This is such a big, big advice, the idea of hoda'ah, of giving thanks. It's the first thing you say when you wake up. Moda'ani, moda'ani is the first thing you say as a reminder that this is the key for the entire day. A person is always giving thanks to Hashem, so it draws like a magnet good things happening to them. That explains, when you see other people, they have good things happening, look at their attitude, look how they are. If now they're always in a positive frame of mind, where they're giving thanks, so good things are coming their way, This is what I wanted to go into, one thing. And now, the next stage is to give over one of Rabbi Nachman's stories, where he goes into the idea of a lost item. He, Rabbi Nachman, he told stories, 13 tales. Why do you tell stories? You know, Tzadikim normally give over Torah. What's the idea of a story? So he explains like this, that there are certain people that they're so trapped in the Yetzirah that Torah won't help them anymore. And plus, the, the, the Yetzirah won't let these people hear Torah. If the Torah is high-quality Torah, that it can help a person be healed and get out of what they're trapped in, the Yetzirah won't let it happen. The Yetzirah won't let this person hear Torah. So the tzaddikim know this, they know about this trick. What they do, they grab for a very high, high level of Torah that it's so hidden that when it comes down into this world, it it's, comes down in a hidden format. They take the deepest, deepest secrets of the Torah and they cover it up in story format, which has all these hidden codes of the Torah, so that nobody sees any Torah here. The Yetzirah says, it's only a story, you can read the story. And, and other people say, it's only a story, there's no Torah here at all. So this, the, the Yetzirah allows people to read these stories, and secretly the Tzaddik sends like hidden code messages in the stories with the deepest secrets of the Torah. The person doesn't pick it up, but the Neshama does pick it up. So when the person reads these stories, he has an amazing, a, a major arousal to come back to Hashem. This is hinted to in a Pasuk from Iov. The Pasuk reads like this, Meshaneh Panav he changes his costume, his face, he's able to escape. So the panav is referring to the shivim panim la Torah, the seven faces of the Torah, the panim of the Torah. So the tzaddikim cover up the faces of the Torah, the wisdom of the Torah, in a story, and by the person being able to read the story, and the neshama picks up the healing of the hidden Torah and the story is able to get out. Okay? 
Rabbi Nachman made a big deal of these stories that he revealed. And he said these stories also, just by the way, he said everybody can read them. And he said it's especially a segula for a woman who cannot have children, that in order to, to help them to have children, they should read these stories. He said they can do what's called pikidat akarot. Because here also is hidden such a refua to get inside the person, and the person has no idea what they're reading. It's a funny fairy tale of kings and queens and, 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 and demons, of funny stories, really funny stories. You read them, you would think that Rabbi Nachman, he could do very well in Hollywood and making movies because of his imagination that is so amazing and how he, he brings down the stories 200 years ago, okay? So in these stories are hidden a lot of, a lot of refua. His first story is called The Lost Princess. In this story, he says about a king who had six sons and a daughter, and he loved very much his daughter. And one day, the king got in an argument with his daughter, and he said, by accident, it slipped from his mouth, you know what, the evil one should take you away. The king said to his daughter, he got in an argument, the evil one should take you away. So that she went to her bedroom to sleep that night. The next morning, they couldn't find her. She didn't come out. They're, 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 they sent people in to see what's happening. They couldn't find her. She disappeared. The king was worried. He was very bothered. The viceroy, the Sheni Lamelech, he said to the king, I'll go and look for her. Give me a horse, a servant, and money for the, for the journey, and I'll go to look for her. So he set out with the servant, the horse, and money, and he went many, many years to try to find her. He came across a castle, and he saw the castle had guards, and it was a very nice, nice castle. And he thought maybe to go inside, maybe she's there. So he thought maybe the guards wouldn't let him in. He walked towards the guards. They didn't stop him. They didn't say anything to him. They let him go through. He went right in. Tons of guards, guards, another entrance. No one is saying anything to him. He gets in one room, the next room, the next room, and finally gets into the main hall of the, of the palace. Tons of food, tons of guests. <laughs> tons of guests, and he sees there music, musicians, people, all types of people there. And the king is seated on the throne, and the, the throne for the queen is left empty. And uh, this viceroy walks in, no one tells him anything, no one says him anything, anything. So he decides to take some food on the table and he sat in the corner to see what's happening. So he took some food, he sat in the corner. While sitting on the corner, the king summoned the queen. Let the queen come. So they started playing music and they started clapping their hands and screaming and everything. And they brought the queen. Who was the queen? The lost princess. So he's looking at her and says, this is the lost princess. She's sitting on the throne, she looks around, and she sees the viceroy sitting in the corner there. She gets up from the throne, she goes to him, she touches him. Rabbi Nachman says she touches him. She says, hey, I know you. Do you remember who I am? And he said, yes, I know you. You're the lost princess, I'm looking for you. What, how can I get you out? What is this place? So she said, this is the place of no good. My father said the no good should come and take you. So this is what happened. The Yetzirah stole me, and now I'm trapped in this palace, which is the place of the Yetzirah. So he said, how can I get you out? So she said, you have to pick one place and stay there for an entire year. And the whole year, just yearn to, to get me out. Pray, 
David and yearn to get me out and out. On the last day, don't sleep and don't eat. And that, on that last day, you'll be able to come and free me. So he agreed. And he did that for one whole year. He found a place and he stayed there and he was yearning and asking Hashem to, to release her. And on the last day, he went to go to, towards the castle to get her out. And he passed by an apple tree. And the apples looked very red and very delicious. And he couldn't resist. He said, those are, those are good looking apples. He took an apple. He took a bite and he fell asleep. He immediately, because he, he was awake all night, he fell asleep and he slept for one year, one whole year. He woke up after a year and he told his servant, where am I? He said, well, you ate from the apple, you fell asleep and I'm trying to wake you up this whole year and you're not waking up. He said, oh, I lost opportunity. He quickly ran to the castle and she said to him, Chaval, you know, it's a shame. For one day, you, you worked so hard to get me out you, a whole year you did the work, the process, and for one day you're going to lose out. So she said, I understand to not eat is difficult. So this time, again, we'll give you to do another year. This time you can eat, but don't sleep and don't drink wine. Because if you drink wine, you fall asleep. So he did that. Another year passed and he yearned to get her out. And on the last day, he went to the castle and he passed by a river which was the color of wine. <laughs> it was red, purplish. So he said, so to the servant, this is strange. A river has normally water and this has purple, something purple. It smells like wine, it looks like wine. He was curious, he tasted from the wine and he fell asleep for 70 years. 70 years? He woke up after 70 years. He sees his servant and he said, what happened? He says, you slept for 70 years. And he said, what did you do in the meantime? And he said, well, I ate from the fruit of these trees here. And what happened? And he saw on the floor a pachale, a tichel, on the floor. He said, what's this? He said, this belongs to the lost princess. What happened? While you were sleeping in the 70 years, she came by with all these soldiers and carriages and escorts. And she stopped the carriage next to the road where you are lying on the ground. She came, she tried to wake you up, she tried to wake you up, and you don't want to wake up. She took her tichel, and with her tears, she wrote something on the tichel. So he picked up this, the, the viceroy, he picked up the tichel, he put it facing the sun, and he saw letters from the tears that said, you will no longer find me in the castle. You now have to search and look for a golden mountain and a pearl castle. <laughs> he said to himself, where in the world Am I going to find a golden mountain and a pearl castle? That's ridiculous. So he realized that this for sure doesn't exist where people live. So he said, this has to be somewhere like in the middle of a desert. So he decided, he left the servant to go back. He left the horse and he set off with the money that he had left on this journey into the desert. And he traveled for years. While traveling, 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 he came across a giant. And the giant was carrying a big tree and he said to him, who are you? And he said, who am I? Who are you? He said, me, I live here. I live here. My ancestors lived here. My great ancestors lived here. I'm always here. But who are you? What are you doing here? He says, well, I'm looking for a lost princess. Maybe you can help me. He said, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for a golden mountain in the Pearl Castle. He said, you're ridiculous. Doesn't exist such a thing. He said, I know it exists, because she wrote in the tears, she wrote to me that it exists. I believe it exists. He said, listen, in my opinion, 
it doesn't exist. But because you're stubborn and you really want, you believe it exists, I'll do you a favor. I'm the king of all the wild animals throughout the whole world. They go running around. I will summon all the animals, all the beasts, and let's ask them. Maybe they saw, because animals, they go everywhere. Maybe they saw a golden mountain and a pearl castle. So, so he did that. He summoned the animals. He asked them, do you know of such a thing? A golden mountain and a pearl castle? He said, no, we know such a thing. He said, you see, the animals, I brought all the animals here. There's no one missing. They don't know such a thing. You want my opinion? Go back home. Forget about it. You'll never find her. And it doesn't exist what you're looking for. He says, I know it exists. And I'm not going to listen to you turning back, to, to trying to give me khalishutada, trying to make me go back from this. So he said, listen, you're stubborn, I see. I'll do you a favor. If you keep on going in the, in the desert, you'll come across my second brother, who's the king over the birds. Because the birds, they fly high, they have a better view. It's called bird eye view. Go to them. Maybe he can, with the birds, they can locate. So he went a few more years. He came across the brother. And he's also carrying a tree. Who are you? What are you looking for? The whole, the whole thing, like the first one. And he also said, Ah, doesn't exist such a thing. What are you, what are you wasting your time? Well, your brother sent me and I want to find you. He said, okay, I called all the, he called, I'll call all the birds. He called all the birds. He asked the birds, have you seen such a thing? He said, no, we don't see it. We've never seen such a thing. So he said, you see, they're telling yourself that it doesn't exist. So go back. So he said, I'm not going to go back. I'm, I'm determined. I'm going to continue looking. So he said, okay, you're stubborn. I see that you're determined. I have a third brother, but he's the last brother. And he's the king of all the winds, Ruach. Okay? Go to him. Tell him I sent you. And maybe he can help. So he traveled a few more years. He came across the brother, the same story, blah, blah, blah. And he sent all the winds. He summoned all the winds. All the winds came. Have you seen such a castle? Have you seen such a thing? Doesn't exist. And that point, he was so broken, he started to cry. And he said, but I know it exists. At that moment that he cried and he said he knows it exists, a, a final last wind came. And the king, the man carrying the tree, the third brother, he screamed at the wind. I told everyone to come. How come he didn't come? The wind said I was busy carrying a lost princess to a golden mountain and a pearl castle. So he was very happy, the, the viceroy. So the giant, he asked the wind, tell me what's expensive there? He said, that, that mountain, you can imagine, a gold mountain and a pearl castle, everything's expensive. So the, the giant said to the viceroy, listen, so many, many years have passed and you're looking for her and your money has run out. Maybe now you have obstacles with money. That will be your problem now to get to Redeemer. I'm going to give you a pouch, an amazing pouch. Whenever you need money, you just put your hand in the pouch and you pull out and you have the amount of money that you need. You, it'll be useful. And he commanded the wind, take, take him now to the, the golden mountain and the pro castle. So he brought him there. He entered, he bribed the guards, the guards all them in. And Rabbi Nachman doesn't finish the story. He said in the end, he freed the princess. How? He didn't tell. This story has many commentaries. It's obviously very deep. One of the big explanations is that this is the journey of every Jew to find their lost items, to find what's truly theirs. In other words, if I am not functioning in my life, like we said earlier, there's something missing. There's something that I don't have that's not letting me to be complete. I came here to do a mission, okay? I came to do a mission as a Jew. Okay, I'm a Jewish mother, got married, raising children, Torah education, chinuch, emuna. But still, the challenge is difficult. There's many setbacks in life and many things happening along the way that can make me broken, make me sad, 
and the sadness makes me feel miserable and what's worth continuing this, this journey if now it's so painful and so difficult. Just to go off one second, there was once a chassid who walked, he lived in Tzfat, and he walked every day from Tzfat to Meron, to Daven by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's Kever. He walked, and he was the whole way learning Mishnayot, until he knew Mishnayot Me'alpeh. And he was very poor, and one morning he woke up, and his shoes were torn, he had no shoes. And he said to Hashem, Rebona Shalolam, or give me a new pair of shoes, or give me the dot, the dot that I don't need a new pair of shoes. But to stay sad and broken, no one gains. This is the most powerful, I'm going to go off a little, this is the most powerful argument you can use to Hashem. When a person is feeling down, and you feel broken, and you feel miserable because if something happened, you can always win over Hashem by saying, Hashem, by me being sad, nobody wins. You lose, I lose, everybody loses. What do you gain by me being sad, Hashem? If now, what I'm going through in life is really what you want from me, Hashem, so let me accept it and simcha. If this is the truth, Hashem, that I have to go through this pain and difficulty, whatever it is, chas shalom, and I know 100% that this is what you want, so then give me the kalim, the vessels, to accept it simcha But Hashem, if this is not what you want me to do, so get me out of here. Bring me to the Yeshua that I need. But to stay like this, Hashem, no way. I want to serve you b'simcha, not to serve you out of tisha b'yav and being sad and miserable. I want to serve you out of simcha. I want to be happy, Hashem. There's no mitzvah to serve to be sad and bitter. <laughs> Who gains, Hashem? Nobody gains. I don't gain, you don't gain. No, no. My surrounding, the siblings, the spouse, children, nobody gains. What are, you, what are you gaining, Hashem? Get me out. This is an amazing argument, okay? Going back to the story now. This story is talking about the pursuit of every Jew to find their Avedo, to find their lost items. And a person is looking and searching and searching. And by the way, they get messages from Hashem. The idea of sticking up the tichel to the sun and you seeing letters from tears is that the person's prayers are a payoff. It's an investment. When a person davids enough and cries enough, Hashem tells a person a message. But only you can see the message because you don't see it. It's not, I don't see anything written on the, the, the tichel. Only what I put up to the sun, in other words, with my emunah and Hashem, and the Torah, and the tzaddikim, etc. I get the message. When I talk to pe other people about it, they think I'm crazy, they think I'm nuts. What are you talking about, these hallucinations and, and things like that? Person reaches a stage that what they're looking for is in a mount, a golden mountain and a pearl castle. Golden mountain and pearl castle correspond to the two gear shifts of life. The, the life is divided in two parts. Every day, and even within the day has two parts. There's what's called the up, the ascent, and the descent. There's the part of the days that are going great, they're going amazing, and the parts of the days which are just going black and tishabav and miserable. Ups and downs. The golden mountain is the, the challenged gold represents in the Kabbalah, dinim, judgments, as opposed to silver. Silver, kesef, in the Kabbalah is called chesed, kindness. Gold is ahav, is toughness. Gold represents the mountain, the, the, the fight, to try to hold on in serving Hashem, the difficulties, the challenges. And the pearl castle, the pearl is shining light and white. It's the ascent, it's the, it's the, it's the beauty of, 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 of life, the beauty of Judaism, the beauty, beautiful part of life. Both are needed to rescue the lost princess. The lost princess is my lost Avedot, what's missing from me. 
my spiritual input, the information that belongs to me, that's making me incomplete in the meantime, that I need. Hashem sends a message to a person, and nobody understands them. And the person wants to pursue what they understand. But people tell them, you're crazy, you're doing the wrong thing. You know, why don't you ask Rabbanin, ask Da'at Torah. Why don't you ask people what's the right thing to do? So the three giants are carrying trees. The tree is Etz Chaim Hi Ba. The tree of life is the tree of the Torah. The three giants are three groups of Torah scholars that we have in Am Yisrael. We have the Torah scholars of the Pshat, the Rabbanim, the Poskim, in Halacha, and Shuchan Aruch, and Ipsak. Then there's the Rabbanim of the Darshanim. You have amazing Darshanim. They're not necessarily Gdole Hador in Halacha, but they know how to speak. They have a, they, when they come to town, it's a big drasha, and people come to drash. And then you have these Mekubalim, these big Kabbalists, Rabbi David and Bukhatser. I don't know, these big people are into Kabbalah. These are the three types of Tzadikim and big people that Am Yisrael go to for advice and for guidance. The three giants correspond to them. The giant, the first one, who was the king of the beasts, the beast in Hebrew is called Chayot. Chayot is similar to the word of Chayut. The life of the Torah is when you see in the yeshivas, the kolalim, when all the, all the whole system is built on the Gemara. The Gemara and Halacha is mamash the fire, the life of the Torah. When, 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 when men get into learning a Gemara Sugya, it's so intense, it's like there's no other Gan Eden in the world. It's so intense and powerful. It's chayut, it's life. Tsiporim, the bird, bird view, is drash. Adarshan, what does he do? He doesn't have to give you a shear in a halachic issue on muktzeh, or if now you're allowed to eat on Yom Kippur, if it's like under the shear, that's not a darshan. A darshan, he takes a bird view of the whole Torah, the hashkaf of the Torah, the musar, gives you the whole idea of emuna, of connecting to Hashem, that's a drashan, that's the idea of a bird, bird view. And the, the, the giant on the ruach are the mikubalim, because ruach, the ruach of the Torah we know, is the spirit, the wind of the Torah, that's the Kabbalah, okay? In a person's journey to find their, what's called emes or emes, the idea of an aveda, another word for that, is the emes or emes, the real truth for me. And the journey for the real truth, a person gets a message, but then gets turned off. You say, but you have to listen to the Gdolei Ador, Nachon. But I feel incomplete. There's something missing, okay? Just an example of what can be Emet and Emes or Emes. I'll give just an example, just to take the idea. Rabbi Nachman, he had a disciple named Rav Nossin. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are in the history of who's who, okay? This Rav Nossin, he came from a very wealthy family and a big Rabbanim. His father-in-law, Rav Dovet Orbach, was one of the biggest Dayanim in the Ukraine in the early 1800s. And he trained his son-in-law, Rav Nossin, the koach of, of giving a psak halacha. He taught him how to be a dayan, how to give a psak. So he really respected his son Rav Nosin and he offered him a position to be a dayan, to be a judge in one city. And that meant parnasa, that meant learning Torah with a clear head without having to worry how to pay for things. Rav Nosin wasn't sure if this was really for him. So he went to Rabbi Nachman and he asked him, should I take the job? Should I take the position? Rabbi Nachman says, sure, why not? Look at you. You know Psak. You know how to get a Psak Halacha. You're expert in the Shulchan Aruch. You're learned. Take the job. Rav Nosin pushed the Rebbe. And he said, but is this the Emes or Emes? Is this the really what's good for me? 
So the Rebbe said to him, you want the emissaries? Then don't become a Rav. Because it's going to detract from your personal Avodat Hashem. As a Rav, you're going to help Am Yisrael, you're going to help. But your personal mission, your personal potential, which you have, will not be met. And it's going to detract. The kavod and the honor that you're going to get is going to push you away from getting to your real truth. Rav Nassim, he wrote down the story and he said, take a look. I asked one thing for the MS, I got one answer. I asked for the MS for MS, I got 180 degrees the opposite answer. Two opposites. MS was over here and the MS for MS, the real truth for me, he gave me a totally different answer. Here too also. When a person now is davening for years and years and asking Hashem, help me to come to my true address, help me to be besimcha, help me to find what I'm missing in my life, Hashem sends a person messages. The thing is, only you see it. You tell your friend, your neighbor, and this, and they think, you're, what are you daydreaming? But I picked it up. It's called intuition. They say like this, the Shulchan Aruch has five sections. Sorry, the Shulchan has four sections. Right? We have Orachayim, um, the Chumash has five sections. Bereshit, Shmot, Baikra, Bamidbar, Dvarim. You would think, since the code of Jewish law, the Shulchan Aruch, is for Alam Israel, and the code of Jewish law brings out the halacha from the five books of the Chumash, that the author of the Shulchan Aruch would have made a fifth volume to face the five books of the Chumash. But he didn't. Why not? The fifth volume of halacha is what's called common sense. There is a Havana, an understanding that a person has that you don't read it in a book. It comes from you. It's like the famous story of the Briskarov that once somebody came, Erev Pesach, to the Briskarov and he asked Shayla, can I do the four kosot of yain on Pesach with milk? So the Briskarov got up, he went into his room, he brought a bag of coins and he gave it to the man. And the Briskarov, the Rebetzin, she saw this and the man left. She, the Rebetzin said to the Briskarov, he, did, he asked you a question and you give him money like that? He said to her, my dear wife, if he's asking, can I do the four cups of wine on milk, can a person, that means he doesn't have money for the four cups of wine. And if he doesn't have money for the four cups of wine, he doesn't have money for the meat and for the matzahs and for everything else, Pesach, he has no money, the guy. You have to understand how people are talking. This is called inference. This is not something that's like in the book, okay, you know, like you have, a, you have a manual, a guide manual, you buy a new computer, a new car, press like this to go start, press like that. The, this understanding is like the Zohar says, kol chad kfum madim each person according to how they feel in their heart. So this is the fifth sense, it's called the fifth sense, that a person through tefillah, through service of Hashem, they pick up remazim. They say like this, by the way, the way you talk to Hashem, that's how Hashem talks back to you. If now you're just a person who just like says and you, you never really once in your life express what's bothering you in your heart to Hashem, express your challenges, so how in the world do you expect Hashem to talk back to you? How do you expect if all the davening was just saying to him, not knowing what I'm saying, saying shachad min chamarev and just saying the words without any heart and you never put your emotions in your davening, so how in the world do you expect Hashem to talk back to you? They say, the way you talk to Hashem, that's how He talks back to you. And Hashem does talk back to a person. He sends them Ramazim and this and that. The thing is, when Hashem sends you the Pachele of the Rebbe's, only you see it, and you try to share it with other people, they try to dissuade you. Even big Rabbanim and everything. Because of this, on one hand, we're part of Am Yisrael, we follow the Torah, we follow Halakha, Shulchan Aruch, 
But when it comes to this idea of who I really am and to come to my potential, I'm going to have to strive for something higher. Like Rav Losin pushed for the emis or emis. To be a Rav, for sure, what's the question? Be a Rav, that makes sense. Everyone, Amisro needs Rabbanim. But it wasn't emis or emis. Why was it emis or emis? Because his personal growth was not there. I spoke about a lot of things. I just hope something good came out of it. The idea is that a Jew can find his lost items by being determined, by davening, and being besimcha. And that's the message we wanted to bring through. We should all find our Avedot and be the people who we really were meant to, to, supposed to be. And not just to be, just because like everybody else is, that we have to be like that. But to be who we really are and not to be afraid to face that challenge, to, to come to our true potential with Zerat Hashem. Um, you still have a minute? Huh? Do you still have a minute? I, of course I have. We have more time. Now Q&A, right? Pardon? You want to speak about Uman. Okay, what exactly is the question about Uman? I have to know, Uman is a big word. What it, what it, from where is the question coming from? Yeah. Sending the husbands to go? What it means? What does and it do? This year, we're very anxious. Not, I can talk for myself, I'm very anxious to have a to go. And if it wasn't this year, you would still be anxious? Yeah. No, no. Just this year? Okay, I, I, we can I never... Everyone's scared. You're scared because of the media. I just got an email today from the chief rabbi. Because why is it so important? What? Why is okay, it so important? now we're talking. So it's not just this year. No. You have no. a general question. Good. Okay. It's a very good. Sacrifice. Okay, you have to know what it is, first of all, yeah. to appreciate it. Ideally, uh, Uman Rosh Hashanah should be like Meron Lagba Omer, where men, women, and children come. It should be ideally the same thing. But Rav Michal Dorfman, he was the one who built the Kloys in Uman. He was the elder who opened up Uman Rosh Hashanah. He told me this clearly. He said, ideally, everyone should be in Uman Rosh Hashanah. But look how messed up it is. It's such a backward city. You put men and where do you put the women? Where? Where do you put them? Ideally, women should be there also. With the family, the kids, everyone should be there. His wording, Rabbi Nachman's wording was, no one should be missing. In Hebrew, he said, ish lo yader. It translates as no man, but when you say the ish lo yader, it's an expression in Hebrew which means nobody should be missing. Ideally, women should be coming, but where are you going to put them? Where are you going to put the woman, right? So we have no choice, and the way it's been for the last 200 years is the men go. And women have always been against men going. Rav Nossin once said, Rav Nossin, he once said, it's a miracle that Yom Kippur is right after Rosh Hashanah. That way the wife has to forgive her husband for leaving him alone and going to man Rosh Hashanah. Okay? Alright? So now, how can I take it and know what it does? When you see what Rav Nossin says about it, then you know that this is big stuff. Rav Nossin says like this. The Gemara says that the Tzadikim, they're inscribed... On the night of Rosh Hashanah, the Tzadikim are signed to life. The Rishayim are the Altul Lamavit, And the Benonim are given until Yom Kippur. That's why we all keep Yom Kippur, because we don't know what we're holding. We assume we're Benonim, so we have until Yom Kippur. So Rav Nosen says like this. That's what the Gemara says. Rav Nosen says that if a person is not a Tzadik in themselves, he knows he's not a Tzadik, he knows he's very, very far from Hashem, he's done terrible things. And yet, so he's like, let's say a person who's a Rasha in himself, he's a Rasha, but he travels to be by the Tzadikim for Rosh Hashanah, in particular these Tzadikim. So the fact that he traveled to be by Tzadik and Rosh Hashanah, 
He's also inscribed for life, even though he's not a tzaddik. But I went to be by a tzaddik for Rosh Hashanah. You are inscribed with life with the tzaddik. Even though you yourself are not a tzaddik, you go under his, uh, his, his uh, canopy. It's a, it's, it's a rule in, in the laws of tahara. You have something which is tameh and something which is tahor. If the thing which is tahor is humongous and you attach the tameh to it, the tameh becomes mitbatel. It becomes nullified to the tahor. So to a person, he could be Tameh in himself, but he comes to be a, by a big Tzaddik for Rosh Hashanah, or he is now included with the Tzaddik. So what this means is we're more afraid not to go to Uman Rosh Hashanah than to be afraid to go. Why? Because what you, what you end up losing by not having a representative in Uman Rosh Hashanah by the Tzaddik, the, the Pachad of what you lose out is much more greater than all of these Phobias which are not real right now, and that's what I wanted to mention to you, like just right now, the chief rabbi of the Ukrainian army, who's a breast liver, his name is Hillel Cohen, he sent out a letter today saying clearly that it's all fake news, the idea that it's dangerous to go in. There's no actual danger. People are going in and out to Uman from the Western Front every day. When men, women, children, vacation, people just came back in and out from all over the world. There's no danger. There's food. There's, there's water. Life is continuing on the left side, on the, on the western side, which is where we're, we're, we're located. Uman is, the, is, is central west. There's no pachad. All the pachad is what? It's the medame, the, the imagination. There's no pachad. Uh, the, there's, the, these things on, on short term shouldn't, shouldn't ruin a person because the gain is much greater. Rav Nossin, his first wife, Esther Shendel, passed away a month before Rosh Hashanah. And she left him little children at home. And it was very painful to leave these kids alone for Rosh Hashanah. The first, you know, to be alone with no father and no mother. And these are like little kids, six, seven, eight-year-old children. They need someone at home. And Rav Nosson was devastated. He didn't know what to do. He was totally broken. In the end, he decided to go because he said, sorry, one second. He said, that the loss of the, that Rosh Hashanah for the kids is a temporary loss because he'll be with them immediately for Yom Kippur and for the Chagin. It's not like a total trauma. It's only Rosh Hashanah, which anyways, he was never there anyways because his wife was at home with the kids. So it's a temporary loss of two days and he'll be there right afterwards. And he didn't leave them with nobody at home. They had help. They had, they had cousins, relatives, and they had maids to take care. That's how it was back then. It wasn't like they're all alone. He weighed the loss to the gain. That the, the, the losing out on Rabbi Nachman's Rosh Hashanah is a big, big loss. Because the gain is unbelievable. This is the day, it's connected to what we spoke about now. This is the day that we get all our Avedot for the year. What do we say in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah? Tka b'shofar gadol l'chayotenu. Right? And the Musa, if you remember the Psukim a little, all those who are lost, the lost items, Rav Nosan explains, Rosh Hashanah is the big, big time to, for everybody to get from the Tzaddik back their Avedas. That's the big thing that you gain on Rosh Hashanah, is the lost items are retrieved. The tzaddik gives out. He said, Rabbi Nachman, he's able to inscribe everyone who comes to him on the first night of Rosh Hashanah. What does it mean to be inscribed? 
Fine, you're inscribed to life. What does it mean now? We, 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 we explain a little. What does the Gemara say that you're, 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 you're signed for life? <laughs> what do you mean signed? That you're not going to die? That's it? That's just the meaning? It's more than that. When, when he says that you're signed for life, we said your life is made up also of the sparks, the lost items that are throughout creation that belong to you. That's your life. That's, that's part of you. Rosh Hashanah is the day that the tzaddik, who we said earlier, he finds everybody's lost items. It's amazing how everything's fitting, by the way. I know you're going to bring this up about Rosh Hashanah, and it's connected directly to what I said at the beginning of the class. The tzaddik, he's someone who finds other people's aveda. We said that originally, right? It's also, um, what's the pasuk he brought? I'm trying to remember. In Tkia, Turan Tkia, he brought it out. Okay, it's another thing. The tzaddikim find other people's avedas and he's able to give them back. The time for that is Rosh Hashanah. The idea of the shofar blast is the calling out the shofar that the malachim, that we said, the malachim will go out blowing Tkia, Turan Tkia, and they blow the shofar to find the avedot. It's connected to Rosh Hashanah. That's why going to the tzaddik on Rosh Hashanah is to find your avedah. All this what Nassim explains. This is the gift, huh? Only Rosh Hashanah, because that's the day we build the shofar. It's the new year. The beginning of the year is the opening. You can't say, I'll let my husband go on Pesach or Shabbos Hanukkah and everything. I'm happy there's a pimple here. I like this, okay? Let's sharpen, let's sharpen the edge. Say what? Every year? Every year is a new creation. Why, why do we have year? Why isn't life just a, a one big continuation? Why do we have every year Tishrei again and then Cheshvan and Kisle? Why does it just continue? Because every year is a new Tikkun, a new mission. And in a national level, this year has new Avedo to be found. And on a personal level also, your mission this year is different. You can see that in life. Look at your life. Look at how you were five years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago. Okay, take, take a look back. Look at your ambition and your goal that you had as like a base Yaakov girl, 15 years old, what you had in your head, what you want to become, your ambition. And then look five years later when you're 20, how the ambition changed. changed. And then when the first child came, how the ambition changed. Your, your mindset, perspective, what's priorities? Like for example, some, some mothers, their parents, you know, one year they were they're saying, I have to be super makhpi, that everyone brushes their teeth 100%. The next year, they started going less on that. It's okay, you brush your teeth a little bit, not as much as I would demand it. Like some mothers, they want you to wash with vinegar and also uh, another type of chemical and then four types of mouthwashes. And then they, another year, they went down on that and something else interested them. Something else that popped up. What pops up in life? This is the Avedot. This is the message Hashem is sending a person what to work on and your, your perspective shifts on a focus of other things. And it's not just brushing your teeth, it's this major thing. The hashkafa of your life, the moon, everything changes facets. So every year, is it, like, again, every year is Rosh Hashanah. It wasn't enough, like I can keep, why, why did I should make it that I keep once in my lifetime Rosh Hashanah and that's it? Why every year Rosh Hashanah, why every year Sukkot and everything? Every year Rosh Hashanah, because every new year needs, needs that beginning. So if that's the case, Rabbi Nachman said the idea, of spending Rosh Hashanah by Tzaddik every year, every year. It's not just one year. It has to be by the Tzaddik or by No other Tzaddik made this invitation. He's the only one who said no one should be missing by me. He said the whole world is dependent on my Rosh Hashanah. He made very powerful statements. statements. He said in the book, you can see this in the book, it's called Chaim Moran. It's translated in English as Tzaddik. 
He said, Hashem gave me a gift to know what Rosh Hashanah is. That no other tzaddikim said. No, no, that no other tzaddikim know about. He's saying this. Not, not me, not somebody else. He's saying this about himself. Rabbi Nachman saying about himself. No one should be missing. It's a tikkun. It's not just, oh, what, what, what do you have in mind? My husband's having fun. He's dancing. All these pictures I see, this guy is dancing at Tashli. And the Nanach guy, he's having fun. And I'm here doing sponja and cleaning after fine, after deal with the kids and everything. And then he comes home, you want to smack him? But you don't realize he went for you. He went for the family. He went for the whole world. But he went to get back his Avedot. It's a joint bargain. The woman can't go. The husband goes as my representative, and there's feedback. That's part of the mishpacha. He brings back the avedot that he got back from the tzaddik, and then it shines in the family. What are they? What that year developed. When you're living life day to day, you don't see the changes. But again, if you look back five years, ten years, when you do units, big jumps, you see that you changed, you grew. You look back when you, I look, I look at myself, for example, I look, I, when I see pictures of me, like with my children and their diapers and everything, and how I was thinking back then, I say, oh, I was so stupid back then, so naive. You look back and you see, I was so silly then, how I was dressing and how I was thinking and all that, and you're advanced now. That advancement, you can't say it's just that life by itself does that. The, 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 the Avedot you get back in your life enhance who you are, to bring you to your true self. So you need every year this gift of being by Tzadik and Rosh Hashanah. I hope that helps. <laughs> Rav Levi Bender, he was being pursued by the KGB. He was mamash in danger. He was hiding in Moscow. And he planned a secret way how to get by train with his wife to Uman. You see, back then the woman did come because it was such a dangerous time and there wasn't so many people, women did go with their husbands to, to get to Uman. They helped around, they helped out with the minyan for the food, whatever that was there. They were also involved, okay? So when people told them in Moscow, the rest of us, you're crazy. You're gonna go, if they find, they find you, they're gonna kill you. He said, I'm more afraid of not going, the danger that I'm gonna face in my life from not going, than the challenges and dangers of going. But again, okay, if now, a man, anybody would ask Rabbi Nachman, I can't go to, I can't come to you for Shoshana. If Rabbi Nachman was here right now, and someone would ask him, I'm having problems coming to you, Rabbi Nachman would tell the person, don't come. Don't come. And the person said, but you said yourself to come. I said, don't come and don't talk to me about this anymore. Don't talk about it. Don't come. Rav Nassim writes, you see, if you ask, you put your foot in your mouth. That's it. You're stuck. Anyway, you're stuck now. Don't ask. Because if you ask, the Rav has to tell you not to come. Why? Because he knows that to always go to Atzadik and Rosh Hashanah, especially Rabbi Nachman Umar Rosh Hashanah, is always connected with some type of Mesirat Nefesh. Whether it's a Mesirat Nefesh that the man has, Mesirat Nefesh of the wives, there's Mamash Mesirat Nefesh, which make it now, I'm weighing it now. But he, so if he, if you were to ask Rabbi Nachman himself, he would say, don't come. Like in the case of the giants, no, it doesn't exist. Or in the case of the MS and MS or MS, you get one answer, but that's, is that the real truth? Is that the MSMS? Rav Nosson says, if you're smart, you don't ask. You don't ask, but you asked, so you put yourself in trouble. Why are you asking? Because you have doubts. No one's going to strengthen your doubts. It's a test. It's a nisayon, and it's a, it's a big thing. You're already told that it's something big, so why are you asking? You want a leniency? You get it. No problem. You want a leniency? Like Rabbanim. When a person comes and asks a halakha question, the Rabbanim do their best to find a heter. Because why is the person asking? Because it's difficult. 
If it wasn't difficult, why are you asking? It's not you're asking because you don't know the halacha. You're asking because it's a, it's a challenge. So the Rav will do everything to find the heter, to find the leniency and everything. But is this the emet lamito? If you didn't ask, it would be the emet lamito to do it. But you're asking, so you're broken now. You're stuck in a way. So it is every year, and it's Mesir Nefesh. It's, and we can't tell anyone to do it. For example, now you, if your husband will go and ask, you know, it's, it's hard and everything. So the breast of us himself will tell him, so don't come. <laughs> don't come. If a, if a, a, a husband will call uh, Rav Kivak or Rav Shechter, I don't know, they themselves will say, okay, don't come then, it's difficult, difficult. Because you're calling. You call, that's difficult, you can't handle the test. Most people don't ask. We don't ask the question, we just buy the tickets and we go. Because the game is big. He said, what did Rabbi Nachman say? Whoever was by me for Rosh Hashanah has the right to be happy all year round. Why? Because you're getting back your Avedot, you're getting back your lost items. It comes out throughout the, throughout the year, throughout the development of the year of Hashem. Alright? Anything else? I hope, I hope you get your husbands to go Rosh Hashanah. I, can, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Yes or no? I can't because it's Monsieur Nefesh. And the war is not, it's not, not an issue. Even the chief rabbi of Ukraine, the army, he says it's not an issue. He's saying it's not an issue. It's like, and he says all the news we hear, he says all fake news coming from the Ukrainian consulate in Tel Aviv and the mayor of Uman, because they don't want it to happen. They have, they have ulterior motives of, of stopping the, you know, because the, the majority of people who go to Uman are from Eretz Yisrael. So there's a visa, there's an open visa entry for Israelis to go to Ukraine, but now Israel's no problems for Ukrainians to come to Israel, so they want to fight back at them and make it hard for them also. Ah, you make it hard for us, we make it hard for you. So they're making all the noise, it's dangerous, it's war, don't come. Then, and then it comes out, people who anyways like giving Breslov a bad name, they take it, yeah, and the Breslovers and this. So what do you hear? Oh, it's negative, it's negative, negative. That's the test here. Is it the real truth? Not necessarily. It's any silent. By the way, I have my tickets. <laughs> I have my tickets already, Baruch Hashem. Let's see it. Hope we get it. <laughs> Anything else? That's it. We finished? And it should be as this, this kind of year with only, only good. Recording stopped. <laughs>